My name is Ben. I'm the campus pastor here. And uh, over the past six weeks, we've been looking at a teaching of Jesus. I really don't know what to do when you do that. I just want you to know. <laughs> we've been looking at a teaching of Jesus known as the Beatitudes uh, in this series called Beautiful. They're found in Matthew chapter 5. I want to invite you to turn there this morning if you brought your Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are some under the seats. And if those are still dry, I want you to grab one and turn to page 677. Uh, I'd like to just read through the Beatitudes this morning and uh, to, to show you where we've been and show you where we're, go- where we're going. Starting in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And then we come to our text for this morning. It's Matthew 5, 9, and it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So this, this beatitude that we're going to look at this morning, it's all about peacemaking. And it says that the blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And I hope that you've understood as we've moved through these first six messages that the beatitudes are not a how-to list of what to do if you want to become a Christian. I think it's really important for us to keep that in mind, even as we read uh, the Beatitude, the, the passage for this morning. Jesus isn't saying, do this, and then I'll love you. You know, be, be peacemakers, and then I'll call you my children. No, John 1, 12 tells us that to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's, that's how you become a child of God. By, by receiving Christ and by believing in his name. Paul reminds us later in the New Testament that it's by grace, through faith, that we become children of God. Again, this, this isn't a list of things to do, but rather it's by grace, through faith, that, that we become God's children. There's no amount of good that you or I could ever do to make up for our sin. Only Christ's death on the cross will pay that price. So the Beatitudes aren't a list of how to become a Christian, but they are a picture of what our hearts should look like as we pursue Christ. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what should happen inside of you. We should be increasingly meek. We should be increasingly merciful, increasingly pure in heart. We should be pursuing these things. And this morning, what we see is that we should be increasingly driven to be peacemakers. Why? Because God is a peacemaker. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write that down. God is a peacemaker. And as the children of God, we should be growing in our Father's character. As the children of God, we should be striving to be like Dad. That's what kids do. They want to be like Dad. And part of God's character is that he is a peacemaker. Several times in the New Testament, God is referred to as the God of peace. That's one of the ways he's described. I love this quote from Pastor John Piper that says, God is a peace-loving God and a peacemaking God. The whole history of redemption, climaxing in the death and resurrection of Jesus, is God's strategy to bring about a just and lasting peace between rebel man and himself, and then between man and man. God is a peacemaker, and as his children, we should be looking for opportunities to bring peace, to make peace. What is peacemaking? Well, peacemaking is all the acts of love by which we try to overcome the walls that divide us. 
And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives us two specific examples of what peacemaking looks, looks like, what, what peacemaking involves. It's found in verse 43. Again, if you're using the House Bible, just turn one page over to page 678. We're going to spend some time here. Uh, starting in verse 43 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. He says, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of Jesus' uh, best-known teachings. And in this portion of it, Jesus is addressing how we should act toward our enemies. And he begins by saying, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Now we have to stop and ask the question, where had this been heard? Who was promoting this, this thought, this way of living? Well, with a little bit of digging, what you'll find is that Jesus is actually pointing back to a law that's found in the book of Leviticus. It's found in Leviticus 19.18, and it says this. It says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, this is a law about peacemaking. It says, Don't seek revenge. Don't bear a grudge. That's the point of this law, but somewhere along the line, the focus shifted from don't seek revenge and don't bear a grudge to three little words, against anyone, or against your people, rather, those three words. And so the focus became not so much about don't seek revenge and don't bear a grudge, but rather, if they're your people, you don't, have, uh, you don't want to seek revenge, you don't want to bear a grudge, but if they're not your people, well, that's a different story. Because it specifically says, against your people. And, and who exactly are my people? Who gets to decide that? Do you, do you see how that shift changed the entire meaning of this law? Put simply, the law now said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. And this was viewed incorrectly as acceptable to God. Jesus is correcting the distortion of this law in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I'm here to tell you, love your enemies. Love them. Whether they're your people, not your people, friend, enemy, you love them. Love all of them. And you might be thinking, well, why would I love my enemies? That doesn't even make sense. Why would I love those who aren't my people? Well, because that's what God does. That's what he did for you and for me. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at that verse that said, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. God showed love to those who weren't his people. That's you and, and that's me. So let's just make this really personal before we move forward. Who is it for you? Who are the enemies in your life? And you may have never put that title on them, but realistically, that's your enemy. Maybe some things were said to you or, or done to you that should have never taken place, and maybe it's been, your, uh, it's been years, but it, it might as well have been yesterday because those words and those actions, they're fresh in your mind like they just happened. Who is it? Who did that? Who, who said that to you? I want to tell you this morning that the path of grudge bearing and the path of revenge, it doesn't lead to peace in your life. 
It seems like the right approach. It feels like the right thing to do. And I'm not minimizing what they said or what they did to you. I'm just speaking as honestly as I can from a heart that desires to see you grow in the character of your father. That the path of revenge leads nowhere good. As a child of God, your job and mine is to seek peace where others would seek revenge. It's to seek peace where others would hold a grudge. And in this passage, Jesus gives us two practical steps toward bringing peace. The first is this. It's in verse 44. He says, pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. And what we see is that peacemakers pray for their enemies. Peacemakers pray for their enemies. Have you ever considered this, that the path to peace begins with praying for your enemies? It begins by praying for that person that you just thought of a minute ago. What does that even look like? What, what should you pray for them? Well, you don't have to come up with this on your own. Jesus tells us how to pray a little later in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 9 and 10. And many of you probably memorized this uh, at some point in your life. If not, I, I bet most of you have at least heard it. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus teaches us to pray by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Like I say, most of us have heard that. Some of us have memorized it. Most of us have spoken it. But have you ever considered praying this for your enemies? Have you ever considered it in that context? I wonder what would happen if we started praying this kind of prayer for our enemies. What if we started praying for God's name to be hallowed or holy in our life and in theirs? What, what would happen if we started praying, God, your kingdom come in my life and in theirs. Your will be done in my life today and in theirs. You know, what if we began praying, God, give us today our daily bread. Be my provision and be theirs today. Or, or how about this one? Father, for me and for my enemy, Lead us not into temptation today, but deliver us from the evil one. There's power in a prayer like that. You pray a prayer like that over your your own heart and over your enemy, and you watch as God changes things. You watch as he changes your heart and as he changes theirs. There's a family that uh, we got to know while we were living in Michigan, and uh, they had grown up Amish, and they were raising their family in the Amish culture. Their kids were actually grown and, and out of the house when the mom, her name was Anna May, um, she started studying the scriptures for herself and realizing that a lot of what she knew about God uh, from the Amish church wasn't lining up with what the Bible said. A lot of Amish folks believe in salvation by works, and while they would say that they believe in Jesus, it isn't usually a grace-based belief system. It's all about doing the right things to earn salvation. Well, Anna Mae began to see through this, and she began to see the truth, and she surrendered herself to Jesus, and she began following him and breaking away from some of the teachings of the Amish church, but her husband wanting, wanted nothing to do with her newfound faith. He was he was cold towards her, quite honestly, and he was resentful that she was neglecting all of these traditions that he still held dear. So her response to that was that she started praying for him, and she started praying for their grown children who now had families of their own. She started praying that they would come to know the truth about Jesus, that their salvation, you know, wouldn't be based on their own works, but rather that, that salvation would be through faith, through grace. And over a number of years of praying for her husband, his heart softened, and he accepted Christ. And, and their families, uh, the families of their children, uh, all but one, 
were surrendered to Jesus Christ, all because of this one wife who is willing to pray for a husband who very much acted like an enemy. And now the whole family is praying for this one child who hasn't yet come to faith. It all began with that one wife praying. And Jesus, Jesus says, that's what peacemakers do. Peacemakers pray for their enemies. It seems completely opposite to what our, our natural response would be, to what the culture does. But peacemakers pray for their enemies. And Jesus gives us one other clue as to what peacemakers do. He, he doesn't say it directly, but it's implied in verse 47 of Matthew chapter 5. Look at it again. It says, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? What's Jesus getting at here? It's that peacemakers greet their enemies. Now, what's the big deal about greeting your enemy? I, I wonder if any of you who have ever been out shopping, maybe you're, you're at Meijer or, or you're at Walmart, and you see that person, and the last interaction that you had with them, well, it wasn't a good one. You don't feel good about them. They probably don't feel good about you. But the item that you came to purchase is on the other end of the aisle that they're shopping in. Have you ever been there? And so all of a sudden, you're Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible trying to figure out how to get a bag of frozen peas without bumping into this person. And we'll go to great lengths. We'll walk all the way around the store just to get what we need and to avoid that person. It's ridiculous. You know, I don't want to see that person. I don't want to talk to them. And we nurse the grudge by ignoring and avoiding. Jesus says that's not what peacemakers do. And he tells us the secret to putting animosity to death. It happens first by praying for our enemies, but then by greeting our enemies. Jesus says, you see that person at the store? You walk right down that aisle and you look that person in the eye and you greet them. You say hello. Or maybe you see the person here at church. You don't pretend to be reading your what's happening page. We know you don't read that. <laughs> no, you go right to that person. You go right up to them and you tell them hello and you begin to break down those walls of animosity that have been built over whatever was said or whatever was done. That's what Jesus says peacemakers do. They pray for their enemies and they greet their enemies. And then life is happy and perfect if we would just do those two things, right? Well, I wish that was the case, but you and I both know it's not. The truth is we still live on broken planet Earth and uh, I, I think we would be wise to approach this peacemaking with a knowledge of a couple of other things. The first is this. Peacemakers don't always succeed. Peacemakers don't always succeed. Look at Romans 12, 18. In fact, I want to uh, encourage you to put this verse to memory. Uh, it's one of my favorite verses about peacemaking. Listen to what it says. It says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you. I wish that there was some way to make people accept our peacemaking efforts. I wish there was some way to ensure that, that when we're doing the right things, that, that peace would be achieved. But what we have to understand is that just because we do the right things, that doesn't mean that the other person will too. Just because we make every effort in this area, that doesn't mean it's going to be received. Peacemakers don't always succeed. But what does Paul say? He says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, have you done everything that you can to bring peace? You know what's really amazing to me about this passage is that it's the same view that God took of us when we rebelled against him. He did everything possible as far as it depended on him 
to restore our relationship with him. But you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't force his love on us. He, he doesn't cancel our free will and make us love him. He simply loves us. And he showed us the greatest expression of love by sending his son to take on flesh, to live a sinless life, and to die a sacrificial death for our sins. And now the ball is in our court to receive that love or to reject it. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Is that not what God did for us? And that's what we need to be doing for others. Let me show you one more thing about peacemaking. It's this. And this one's really important. The peacemaking is not the same as peacekeeping. There's a really difficult passage of Scripture that's found in Matthew chapter 10 uh, that we're going to have to address this morning. We can't, uh, we can't ignore it when we talk about peacemaking. Matthew 10, verse 34, Jesus says this, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. All right, Jesus, you just wrecked my sermon on peacemaking. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? Is Jesus really calling me to turn against my mom and dad and my mother-in-law? I really like my mother-in-law. She's a very nice lady. But what's Jesus teaching here? Is he, is he saying that we need to, to make the people in our homes our enemies? Well, not at all. What Jesus is highlighting is what we've just said, that this message of peace isn't always going to produce peace. And when it comes down to it, when there's a choice to be made between keeping the peace and standing for what's right and true, your first priority is truth. Just going with the flow and agreeing with behavior that you know is wrong and dishonoring to God, that's not peacemaking. Your first priority is not keeping the peace. Your first priority is to your heavenly Father to standing for what's right, to not backing down or shrinking back in the face of adversity, but to respond with 100% grace and 100% truth. And that kind of response doesn't always lead to peace. But if you look at the life of Jesus, this is exactly how he lived. He never once compromised the truth of who God was or who he was or what he came to do. And that's why over and over again, people tried to stone him and throw him off of cliffs and ultimately, you know, they wanted to shut him up so bad that they arrested him and they beat him and they crucified him on the cross. Jesus had to give his life to accomplish peace for us. And now he calls you and I to be peacemakers too. And that's not a life of passive compliance. It's a life of action and of love and of justice and of mercy. It's a life where we do more than just live quiet, peaceful lives, but that we're actively seeking to make peace, to cause reconciliation, to end bitterness, and to tear down walls that divide us from others. Do you see the difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping? Peacekeeping is passive. Peacemaking is active. Peacekeeping compromises the truth for the sake of peace. Peacemaking holds truth as the catalyst for peace. Pray for your enemies. Greet your enemies. Recognize that peacemakers don't always succeed and that peacemaking and peacekeeping are not the same thing. But if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
I want to close this morning with an amazing story of what peacemaking looked like in one man's life. You may have seen uh, or read about this incident. I want to show you the news clip uh, of what I'm talking about. Check this out. So I was shocked when uh, Paul, our lead pastor, shared this news with me a couple of months ago. Paul had had some interactions with Mitchell Birch, the man who lost his wife and his mother-in-law. But I was even more shocked uh, when Paul shared with me some of what has happened since. Mitchell Birch recently shared the rest of this story on his blog, and he writes this. I want to just read it to you. I feel compelled to write about an incredible experience I had last Tuesday night. I was coming out of a store when my phone buzzed. The voice on the other end said, my name is Frank, and I'm the truck driver who was involved in the accident that took the life of your wife and your mother-in-law. My heart skipped at least a couple of beats. As we, began, as we began to talk, I told him how thankful I was that he had taken the time and courage to call me. I told him that neither I nor my children hold him responsible for Shelley's and Linda's tragic deaths. I told him that we had been praying for him daily, knowing that he must be going through hell. He said to me, you will never know how much it means to me to hear you say those words. We then talked a few more minutes, and he asked me if I had any questions for him. And I asked him, Frank, what did you do immediately after impact? And he responded, after I hit the car and came to a stop, I went immediately to the car where your mother-in-law and wife were. I've been in law enforcement for 13 years and a volunteer firefighter for 14 years, and I wanted to do something, but I quickly realized there was nothing I could do. Both women were either already expired or unconscious. They were both lodged, and I couldn't get them out, so I did the only thing I could do, Mr. Birch. I held your wife's hand, and I stayed with her until the first responders arrived. I did not want her or her mother-in-law or her mother to be alone in death. Mr. Birch, she was never alone. I thanked him and I told him I was grateful he was there with them and that I also knew Jesus was there in that moment as well. He expressed how sorry he was for this tragedy and the conversation came to a close. 
I'm grateful he took the opportunity to do that very difficult thing. It certainly shows you his grief is real. Please pray for this man, Frank, and his wife and family that God will give him peace as he gives me and my family peace, depending on him, Mitch. Can you imagine that kind of a response in the midst of that kind of tragedy? It's what it looks like to be a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Do do you have an enemy today? Is there someone in your life who you need to go to work bringing peace? Is there someone in your life who maybe you've withheld that peace from? Maybe your step today is just to simply commit to praying for that person. And that's the first step towards being a peacemaker. Maybe it's time to greet that person and to reach out and to let them know that that even though what was said or what was done was wrong, that because of what God has done for you and showing you great grace and bringing peace to you, that you want to be a peacemaker in their life as well. Let me pray that we'd have the strength to do just that. Father God, I thank you so much uh, that you are a peacemaking and a peace-loving God. That when we had rebelled against you, that your response wasn't just to write us off and to turn your back. Father, to, uh, uh, to walk away, even though you would have been justified in doing that. Father, but because of your great grace, because of your great love, that you reached out, you sent your son Jesus to come and, and to be the sacrificial offering for our sins, Lord, that you'd bring us back into relationship with yourselves, that once we were not a people and now we're the people of God, we're the children of God, we're your kids, and we want to grow in your character. So would you help us with this, Lord? I I don't pretend uh, to think that that this is easy. The situations in this room are are many. Father, they're, they're difficult, they're tricky, there's so many different details that play in and what about this and what about that and I'm just trusting this morning Lord that your grace is sufficient that it covers every situation Father find us faithful to begin praying for those uh, who we would count as our enemies those who have maybe persecuted us Lord and to taking that step to greet that person and to begin the process of tearing down walls that have been built Father, that as far as it depends on us, that we would do everything we could possibly do to live at peace with those you've put in our lives. Father, thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.